name is Tom Chick, and you're listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast, where I am joined, as usual, by Jason Jimenez McMaster. Jimenez, that's a good one. That's a good one. Well, you are in a foreign country now, am I not? Am I correct? That's that's true. Yes, I'm here for another six days. What what country are you in? In Germany. Ah, okay. <laughs> that song wasn't very appropriate then. Never good enough. <laughs> uh, and how how is Germany treating you, by the way? Uh, food's really good. Uh, weather's nice. Uh, not very good on the internet bandwidth, but otherwise, uh, I like the country. And what what cities have you visited so far? I've been mostly outside of Frankfurt in uh, a spa town called Bad Monster am Stein Eberberg. Now, can you say that correctly with a German twang? No. Okay. There's no way. (laughs) (laughs) So you've been at the home of the Frankfurter. Have you also been, as you hinted you might be, at the home of the Hamburger? No, we actually ended up not going up to Hamburg, though I would have really liked to. All right. Well, America well, misses you, you, Jason Jimenez McMaster, and we're ready for you to come back. So, and I miss America. Uh, I miss him. What? Once you get back, what is the first game you're going to play on your Xbox 360? Wow, that's a good question. Um, hopefully, From Dust, since that comes out the right around the time I get back. Okay, thanks Thanks for spoiling my post of the week, jerk. Yes! <laughs> now, why don't you tell us what we're going to do on this podcast? Brief folks on our format here, Jason Jimenez-McMaster. What we're going to be doing is talking about the news story of the week, post of the week, and game of the week, and having a slight discussion about both. All, right. all three. There's more than two. Now, uh... For our notes, we could have coordinated these on Google Plus. Am I correct? I believe you are, but maybe I, I don't know. But it couldn't have it couldn't have hurt. I don't know. I don't know how all that stuff works, but I do know my uh, inbox. I I don't know what Google Plus is, but I went ahead and joined it because by the time I got in on Gmail, someone had taken my name. So whatever this Google Plus thing is, I wanted to make sure that I got in soon enough to, to call dibs on whatever name this other Tom chick might take. Turns out that's apparently not what Google Plus is. So anyway, whatever it is, I'm joined it. I get several times a day all of these notifications. It's worse than Facebook. I finally had to put all my Facebook stuff in a separate folder where it doesn't bother me. But uh, Google Plus, like, are, are you getting emails every day, Jason? Jimenez, oh, yeah. Or, yeah. Tons have, of them. Have we added each other? Are we Google Plus friends? Uh, I've added you, but I don't think you've added me, which is just awful. I have to add you? I think so, yeah. Oh, good lord. I know. All right, I'm going to have to hire a tutor to have someone explain this to me, just like I did with Facebook. Uh, Now, you were just looking at Jeff Minter's Google Plus page. What can one find there? Uh, Information about his latest game, uh, Deflex which is an iPhone game that I haven't played. Uh, I'll be honest, I, I just kind of read Jeff Minter because he's a uh, relatively famous weirdo, and he entertains me. So, so 
you know, it's like uh, the latest post on Jeff Minter's page is there's a uh, his latest game, Deflex, has all sorts of crazy colors like Space Giraffe, except in the background, there's a pleasantly smiling L. Ron Hubbard face floating around in this one screenshot. Ah, uh, Jeff Minter. That's that's frightening me. I'd like to move on. Yeah, <laughs> as well you should. <laughs> Dianetics. Uh, I want to start with news of the week. Let's go there, and I'm going to roll this week. Right. I have a I have a D8. So oh. I'm going to roll this D8. Uh, this is what I normally use to determine how much damage my cleric does with his mace. That is correct. All right, here we go. I'm rolling a D8 on a one to four. You're going first, McMaster. Sounds good. I got a two. All right. So oh, what what is your news story of the week? Um, my news story of the week is the leaving of Christina Norman from Bioware to join Riot Games. And Christina Norman was the lead gameplay designer for Mass Effect 2 and 3. Holy cats, was she really? Yep, and she just joined Riot Games as a, as a uh, game player, let me say, as a, 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 in a lead design position. That's what they've said so far. Now, tell us why this is significant. What what difference does this make? And then, it, this is uh, this is so fortuitous because I I actually have an anecdote. Uh, but first, tell us why why does this matter, Jason Jimenez McMaster? It matters because well, Bioware is kind of a big deal, as Ron uh, Burgundy would say, and uh, Riot Games is a much smaller independent company, and if they're if they're attracting that sort of attention from the larger folks in the industry, it's only good for them. And, and yeah, I mean, it, it, they've grown by leaps and bounds in the last year. So I, it's just showing an upward trend for them. Now, and of I course, like, I'm a big fan. So, uh, you know, I'm just always whoring that out. And so carry on. Now, what, what is Miss Norman's title? What, what did she do at Bioware? Lead gameplay designer. Okay. For so Mass Effect two and three. I think you're burying the lead here, McMaster. And let me see, let me what when you when you mention this, here's what this says to me: that Riot Games hiring the one of the the someone who did that for Mass Effect Two says to me they've got something up their sleeve, maybe that isn't just more League of Legends. Maybe you think that like, could be okay because I've always thought they've they've built up this rich cast of characters and if you go to the website and read some of the different pages each character has some some backstory some of the stuff is pretty cool there's a guy named fiddlesticks i think i remember reading his and and he's got a great backstory like if you ever go to the the riot games webpage and read the fiddlesticks backstory i love that uh i I love Uh, whoever wrote that that's one of the things that I, I really love about League of Legends is they have tons of characters and they're all pretty, uh, they're very interestingly designed. I, I love the look of most of the characters as well as you know, their backstories are all pretty well done. So yeah. it, it's a, it just looks cool. And uh, yeah, Fiddlesticks is a great example of this, <laughs> the Scarecrow. And their, their characters are built around uh, gameplay, it seems, a lot. So I think they've got yes. a, a, a rich uh, vein to mine. Man, that, I, f- I feel like that that was a dirty metaphor. Uh, they've got great territory uh, to 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 build from to make a like some kind of RPG or something. And so the fact oh, yeah. So I maybe that's what's going on here. I don't know. Okay, so I want to tell you briefly my anecdote. So I was uh, I, I was doing some coverage of League of Legends right around the time I was discovering it. I came to it fairly late. 
so I just sort of blindly emailed the the CEO of of the company, whose name was Tom. I'm going to forget his last name. Not Wilson. Actually, uh, I don't remember his name right off the top of my head either, actually. Well, anyway, I'd, I'd emailed him a couple times. We'd, we'd had a, a few just brief exchanges. Um, actually, I don't even think we had. I eventually got through to the, their PR person. Uh, and, you know, when you're doing stuff that we normally do, McMaster, you don't just email the CEO generally. You go through PR, and that's no. fine. And, and I didn't really realize how big – Riot Games had gotten. So I kind of fumbled that. I, I wanted to do an interview with him. Uh, he, he was busy, understandably. Anyway, I went straight to him. It, it, that's not where I should have gone. I eventually found the right person to talk to. Uh, so fast forward to uh, GDC, uh, where I did a panel on strategy games and had a few things to say about League of Legends and, and Riot Games. Afterwards, a woman comes up to me and she's like, do you have a card? Uh, and I don't have cards so i suck there so i said no i don't have a card but if you give me yours i promise i'll drop you a line so she handed me her card and she said i have someone i want you to talk to and the card said christina norman bioware uh and so i i wrote my address on it and i gave it to her and i remember thinking is is bioware gonna offer me a job like what what is that all about uh you know why would they i'm just talking about strategy games yes Like and I have all these visions. Canada money going on. (laughs) That's right. I have these visions of moving to Canada and the exchange rate or whatnot, and uh, you know me and Troy Goodfella hanging out all the time. And (laughs) so I smoking pipe. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, So uh, I I I get back and she finally emails me and she's like, I want I want you to meet Tom from Riot Games because I think you two would have a lot to talk about. And she she forwards me. She puts me on a CC with this guy, Tom, whose last name I forget because I suck, uh, who's like the head of Riot Games. Uh, who I'd yeah, been well. trying to reach for several weeks at any rate and, and screwing up. So I've actually met her. I didn't know I, – I feel like a jerk. I didn't know she was such a big deal at Bioware, uh, and I'm glad to hear she's going to Riot Games because it turns out that she and Tom uh, either know each other or had worked together, um, but enough to where she wanted to refer me over to him. So she's over there. I guess she's moving down here to, to L.A. then because that's where yeah. Riot Games is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I uh, I thought about applying to Riot Games, then I'd have to move to L.A. and I'd be in the same town as you. Oh, uh, my God. This town ain't big enough for the two of us, McMaster. <laughs> That's true. Have you played any League of Legends from Germany? Uh, I try to play at least a little each night, uh, if not anything but co-op games, because every day you have one game where you get bonus uh, points. Ah, right, so, right. You, those are slipping away every day. That's right. Oh, yeah. So I have to get my uh, co-op game in every day to make sure I get my points. Uh, otherwise, my ping is pretty rotten. So yeah, I couldn't really play competitively from here at all. Yeah, but you don't want to leave those points on the table. That's absurd. Oh, no. Oh, God, no. It's just wasteful. <laughs> That's foolish. <laughs> Uh, all right, so uh, congratulations to Miss Norman. Uh, Absolutely. And, yeah, now that she's here in L.A., maybe she can come hang out with us guys at Shoot Club. Unlike yes. Yeah. yeah, I know. Well, you know, next time I'm in town, we're going to have to Shoot Club. I think you should move to L.A., by the way. What would Sarah think, your wife, of moving to L.A.? Would she approve? I think she would. I, hey, if I didn't uh, have something going on right now, I would have already applied for and then begged somebody at Riot Games to hire me. So, you know. Yeah, this is this 
lucrative day job thing you have that has you gallivanting around the world. There's there's no fear yeah. that, Master. No, I agree. Yes, it's awful. <laughs> All right, so my news story of the week isn't anywhere. It's more boring. Uh, of course. I don't uh, – yeah, and it's just one that – my the thing about my news stories is they're only things that I would care about. I don't think most people are going to care about the fact that Electronic Arts announced an expansion pack for Sims Medieval, right? Like that's not a big deal, is it? Like it is uh, – did you play Sims Medieval, Jason Jimenez? You know, I have actually. I, I actually really like it. Um, ah, okay. I, I, I didn't play it – a ton, but I, I probably put, you know, several hours into it before I realized that there's no autosave and it crashed and that kind of, uh, <laughs> that, that kind of, uh, dampened my spirits, but I do plan to revisit it pretty soon. Well, good. Cause I, ex- I fully expected that I would be, uh, mocked mercilessly by you, uh, when I, when I brought this one up. So you're on board then with more content yeah. for Sims medieval. Well, it's like, it's such a, an interesting look at the Sims because, the biggest thing that killed me about The Sims was I enjoyed making this stuff. I enjoyed laying it out. And I enjoyed doing all the crazy things. But I also really got tired of making people go to the bathroom. I got tired of making people take out the trash, you know, take showers, that kind of thing. And Sims Medieval completely removes that for the most part. You know, there's, what, two bars in it? Yep. Food and sleep. So, and, I mean. And yeah. in, in many cases, you just get servants to make your food for you. Oh, yes. I'll, yeah, of course. <laughs> That's what I do anyway. Hey, where do you get that? Uh, it's my wife. Oh, I'm going to get killed. <laughs> You're in so much trouble. Oh, yeah. she's going to kick your ass. That is awesome. She'll, yeah, she'll be listening to this later tonight, so I'm sure she'll be really happy about that comment. I just want to say, get him, Sarah. <laughs> so, uh, so if you want more content in Sims Medieval, here's what you're in for. You ready for this, McMaster? I am. Uh, more quests? What do you think of that? That sounds good. The quests are fun. See, the thing is, all the quests are off screen, though, which kind of sucks. It's sort of like, you know, there yeah. are times where, like, you're promised this cool storyline about, like, the, there's this crazy crab man at one point who lives under the city, and you have to either fight him or win him over to your cause. And all of it... I did really like that about The Sims Medieval, by the way, that there were multiple ways to do And they're yeah, and they're based on what kind of character you're playing, and yeah, Yeah. and I I like that. It sort of feels like okay, here's a quest. Uh, Which character do I want to tackle it? You know, which approaches do I prefer? And I, you know, the thing is, but it's all off screen. Like you never see any of this, and that's kind of in a way maybe a strength of it, in that they're just little text boxes with with 2D art. Um, So it's sort of like. You know, this is about these medieval sims at home, and when they go off to adventure or quest or fight wars or slay things, you kind of have to use your imagination. And I guess ultimately yeah. I'm okay with that. But but when they say more quests for this, I'm just wondering, so basically more text boxes. Uh, you know, I, I don't – that just seems – Oh, those are hard to program. You wouldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Well, here, it takes like six months for like a few quests, yeah. Now, here, here's another bullet point. I don't know how hard this is to program, but what do you think of new clothes and items of furniture? Sweet Jesus. Right. Well, I mean, that, yeah, I mean, that's what sells The Sims to people, like, or at least a large portion of the audience of The Sims anyway. So, yeah, I mean, they're always going to have that. Jason McMaster, have you ever sat down with a Sims game and done things like chosen the color of a couch or your bedspread 
or coordinated the wallpaper and the carpeting? Not really, because I have no real fashion sense. <laughs> but that's that's something you can exploit, though, in like a lot of Sims games. If you have no real fashion sense, by golly, you can make these god-awfully ugly color schemes if you want. But you have to oh, care. Yeah. You have to care about it on that level, though. A lot of people don't. I remember. Uh, it's funny just thinking of god awful uh, color schemes. It just I don't know why this just popped into my head. But mm-hmm. many years ago, uh, I was uh, doing a preview of uh, City of Heroes, and I was playing with Mark Asher, mm-hmm. and and he had made I he made the most god awful ugly character I'd ever seen in any game. In my life, it was like when Mark walked into the screen, he, you couldn't miss him. He was like purple, pink, like neon green. I just remember, oh my god! <laughs> so what you're what you're telling me is that if I if I want to go out and fight crime, do not let Mark Asher design my costume. No. Is that what? You're, okay, no, Good no, time. yeah, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. I'm also in that case. I'm not going to let him set up the color palette for my Sims Kingdoms either. No, no, you you would end up very sad. It would be like a, in front of a Florida trailer or something like that. Okay, so here's the final bullet point. And, uh, you know, looking at the list, I'm sort of like, well, they're just throwing uh, – you know, it's like I kind of want a new kingdom or new types of classes. And I don't think I'm getting any of that. But here's what I am getting with the uh, expansion for Sims Medieval, which is called, by the way, Sims Medieval colon Pirates Ampersand Nobles. So – it's not Sims Medieval colon, because that would be a terrible expansion. No, right. They do not stop with the colon. Right. That would be awful. Uh, okay, That's but here, it be, because it's pirates and nobles, here is the real bullet point, I think. You can have birds. Now, there are parrots and of falcons, course. because, of course, the pirates get the parrots and the nobles get the falcons. So sure. what do you think of that, McMaster? It sounds very Ladyhawk. Hey, you know what? When you put it that way, I like it even more. <laughs> See, there you have it. That's all you got to do. Sims, medieval, Ladyhawk. <laughs> I was trying to – go ahead. Yeah. Or you could have Sims, medieval, quills. That would <laughs> that probably wouldn't work out as well. Quills? The, you know, that movie? Yeah, Marquis de Sade? <laughs> yeah. You know what? I think you're. I don't on, think that is I, popular. I, I think you should mod that, McMaster. Yeah, the Jeffrey Rush mod for Sims Medieval. <laughs> All right, so that's my news story of the week. Uh, it's due out in August. Uh, I'm kind of underwhelmed by the feature list, but uh, you know what? It's Sims Medieval, and I'm happy for any excuse to mess around with it some more. So that's oh, yeah. coming out in August. All right, McMaster, are you ready for post of the week? I am, believe it or not. Okay. I'm rolling the D8. What, McMaster, in what other situation would you use a D8? Uh, a D8 would also be used for a longsword. Ah, very good. Very good. Are you yes, sure you yeah, what's a What's a bastard sword? Uh, wasn't bastard's... I could be wrong. I think bastard sword was 2D4. Very or good. Or was it 1D6 plus 2? I can't remember. Oh, it's nothing that's 1d6 plus 2. Please, that's that's overpowered. That would have to be nerfed. Uh, well, yeah. that's true. You would have a low low number of 3 instead of a low number of 2. You're right. That is slightly overpowered. Yeah. God, I'm stupid. 
<laughs> but I think you're right. I think I think the bastard sword is two d four. But here's one d eight. By the way, the, the this one d eight you could also use in Battlestar Galactica, the board game. Okay. Here. Oh. There you I'm rolling and a three. Oh my god. So that's you. Okay. Your first post of the week. What is your All choice? Right. My post of the week, sir. Actually, it's more of a threat of the week because I like the whole thing. But it was started by Alistair, and it is, what should they do with The Witcher 3? Ah, you know what? I saw that, and and my immediate reaction – sorry to cut you off. but My immediate reaction was don't go in there because they could be spoilers. Somebody could could guess correctly what they're going to do with Witcher 3. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, and then just like a few years down the line, somebody's going to be super mad. Yeah, that would be me. I would be like, God, Alistair's thread ruined this for me. All right, so what, <laughs> kind, of, what kind of things did they come up with? You know, actually the list, uh, amazingly enough, was uh, smaller than uh, than I expected. And, you know, a testament to that is how good of a game Witcher 2 is. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly, I think people would like to see, a, you know, maybe a little bit of combat tweaking. Um and the potions and crafting absolutely need to be looked at. But uh, and a, a larger world with less walls. But I mean, that's gonna, that's kind of a, you know, a limitation of the engine. Right. So the, that that one might be a little bit tougher. Now let me ask: Do people not like the? I'm I'm with them on the crafting. The crafting always felt like why bother? Uh, and maybe it's just because I wasn't playing on a hard enough difficulty level. But I never felt like anything. I eventually oh, no. just started unloading all that crafting stuff. I was like, I don't care. I'm just selling all this. However, yeah, I mean, it's it's just ridiculous. You have so much inventory. Yeah, and you're getting good stuff. Otherwise, it seems it seems like I never needed yeah. to craft stuff. And like I would get a cool blueprint for something, and I would sort of feel like, well, you know, this is cool, but I've out leveled it by, you know, this is something I could have used maybe four hours ago, but but now, right. Uh, so, however, uh. Are people do people not like the potion system? Because I thought that was something I really liked what that brought to Witcher 2 to sort of set it apart from the traditional way that RPGs worked. Namely, you know, you quaff a potion in the heat of battle whenever you need it. Uh, but here, right. the, the potions required some forethought. Uh, you had to, and and it sort of t- was tailored to a specific type of gameplay, and that was why it kind of had its own uh, skill tree. Uh, is that if you wanted to play a game where you planned things out beforehand, uh, that oh, yeah. was for that's how the, where the potions came into play. And if you didn't want that, then just go magic or sword play. So are people objecting to the potions in Witcher 2? You know, I personally kind of like the way it works because uh, being an, a completely cool dude with a lot of sex appeal, I'm a big fan of the Witcher books. And uh, the Witcher books is one of those things where he sits down, he takes his potions, and they, they like you know they do have a certain effect on the system, and they kind of freak him out for a little bit. So he has to like take the potion and kind of get used to the effects of it for a moment so it's not just like a quick oh let me gulp this down for a d6 hit points or whatever you know like most of them but some people just you know the combat can be difficult in that game and so i understand the desire to want to hit like a button to uh you know heal but at the same time it also makes the game what it is in a way and it stays faithful to the lore for the people who are big fans of the uh of the actual you know backstory 
So are the potions part of the lore, this idea that he has to, like, sit down? Because there seems to be – is it a toxicity meter or there's some meter yes. that fills up that limits the number of potions you can have in your system at once? Right, yeah. There's a certain level of toxicity that becomes lethal. Um, and, so, yeah, you can do, like, two or three, I think, at once. And best. that's from the lore or that was just a gameplay thing? Like, is that – That's a gameplay thing, but the potions and all that stuff are very much part of the lore. Uh, the witchers are um, very secretive about their potions. In fact, that's one of the things. That's how partially how you become a witcher is as a child, someone would you would be sent off, and then basically the kids would have to take all these poisons in a way, and the ones that live through it would continue on. And, oh, that's, yeah. that's, I didn't realize that. For I mean, I guess because I didn't play the first game, I, I didn't. I know very little about actual witcher origins and what they are i just jumped into the second game and accepted hey these are badass dudes like medieval jedis or whatever uh so I, yeah I they're that. they're weird because their morality is is really crazy to most people their, their whole idea is that they don't they don't do anything but hunt monsters they're not assassins they're not guards you can't hire them to just kill a guy they are there to kill monsters, and they wander town to town. People are scared of them because they're weird and they're different and kind of, you know, well, they're kind of scary. And, uh, yeah, that's their whole point. You know, it's kind of a, a thing like, you know, you would have a, a butcher or a baker. Well, you could also have a witcher. So. <laughs> you know? uh, are Jason Jimenez McMaster, are witchers unionized? Sort of, yeah. They have like a local 34, I believe, is the one from in the Los Angeles area. So here's another thing I don't know because I've only played Witcher 2, and as far as I know, the only actual Witchers you meet in that game, and I could be wrong, are the the bald dude who's like the bad guy and uh, Gerald himself. Uh, what is the yep. deal with Witcher's hair? Because so Gerald has that goofy 80s ponytail and the bald dude, of course, has no hair. Are they all white haired and are they obligated to wear their hair that way? In which case, is that why the other guy is bald? Because he shaved his head because he didn't want to look like some douche from the 80s. What's going on with Witcher hair? Well, the thing with Geralt was he's uh, he's kind of special for the Witchers because he under he's the only one that survived this extremely crazy process. Uh, most of the others didn't go through it, and they stopped doing it after a while. So it made his skin whitish. It made his hair white ah. and all that. So he, he's actually a super special one. He's the one that is a legend, a living legend, basically. You know, I was completely being facetious, and I didn't know there actually was something to that about him being like a pale, white-haired oh, yeah. dude. I just thought it was yeah. like a kind of an Elric ripoff or something. No, it's pretty amazing how close to the books those story, those games stay. I mean, they're not based, as far as I know, because not all the books are translated, uh, they're not based on specific events in the books, like I said, as far as I know. They're kind of side stories, and uh, but they do, they like, you know, the King Foltest, he is a huge, not huge, but he's like a constant reoccurring character. Right. And Visimir and all these other characters that you run into in the Witcher games is uh they're they're constant characters. So now given this thread, is there I mean I I have no doubt this will happen, but is there a Witcher three announced? 
I, I haven't heard anything yet. Okay. But uh, I, I can't imagine them not doing a Witcher 3. So other than things that we've mentioned or that are in the thread, are there any things that you feel they need to do with, with Witcher 3? Make it come out faster. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> it's, it's a really good game. I definitely can't, can't argue with that. Will The Witcher 2, this might be a spoiler, Jason Jimenez McMaster, but will The Witcher 2 be on your top 10 games of the year list? I can't imagine it not being. I feel uh, this this game uh, this year honestly to me has just been kind of a lot of disappointments a lot of a lot of weird game you know not it, not even remotely what I was expecting right by the way I just want to say so you you mentioning that thing about the witchers drinking the potion the ones that survive it become witchers I really am disappointed that the witcher is such a great game that they would rip that off from Dragon Age where oh yeah because that's obviously where they stole that because in dragon age you have to like drink a potion to qualify to be one of the gray wardens or whatever they're called to fight back the forget what the bad guy the night flashes i forget what what do they call the the evil demon creatures in dragon age anyway they they, which are obviously stole that from dragon age which oh oh, yeah the, the thing where the guy has to drink the potion and survive the process and then become a gray warden that's just really disappointing that an otherwise great game (laughs) Has to play drugs like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I think those Witcher books just came out in the last couple of years. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had to have <laughs> uh, And finally, once again, to just put you on the spot, because I love doing this. Jason Jimenez McMaster, can you pronounce the name of the author of the Witcher books? Go. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, if I could remember it, possibly. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. <laughs> By the way, aren't you – you're right up there near his home country right now. Right, yes, in Poland. In fact, uh, the funny thing about that is that when President Obama uh, visited Poland, uh, they gave him a copy of The Witcher 2 and the first Witcher book in English, which is The Last Wish. And I believe it's Andrzej Sapkowski? Something like that. I would like to applaud your attempt, Jason Jimenez. Yeah. Uh, but that's is that true? They so so Barack Obama owns a copy of the Witcher of the of a Witcher novel. He absolutely and Witcher two the game and the game. <laughs> wow, I wonder. I wonder that's what awesome. his. I wonder what his. Wow, I want to like. Do you think he's gotten very far with it? Did he get stuck at that first battle with the evil Witcher, which is where I got stuck? I wonder how he's doing. Uh, with it. You know what's funny about that battle is because of. Because of playing like games like Dragon Age 2 mm-hmm. and stuff like that, I got so used to violently uh, just swinging at somebody, just going at them. You know, right. what I mean? uh, and you can't do that in The Witcher. You, you really have to. There's a there's a cadence to the combat that you have to really follow, and that's that. What is what took me so long about that fight? Uh, after I started kind of figuring it out. Well, there's a there's a cadence to the combat, and there's also a set of tools that you need to learn to use. Because I had the same problem with that battle, and I posted something about it. Uh, and I eventually won that battle by him kind of glitching and getting stuck on a wall where I could just, you know, chip away his hit points with impunity. But then oh, yeah. people posted things like, well, you know, 
if you set that little trap spell that you have, you know, and oh like yeah, and I didn't even think of that at the time. I was just like, do as many hit, you know, he's a he's a hit point, is a damage sponge. Do as much damage as you can to get past this stupid boss fight. And I wasn't right. finessing it or playing it with the tools that I was supposed to play it with. So yeah, uh, that's that's how I approached know. it too. You know, the first few times, and like I I eventually ended up looking at something to see, like, good God, you know, because I mean, he just takes a couple of hits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're not you're not that tough at that point. Yeah. Right. What is and that? So, yeah. What is that dude's name, by the way? The bald dude? Do you remember? Oh God. What is his name? It's um Steve? I think it's Steve. Yeah, we'll go with Steve. <laughs> it's Bruce Garrick. <laughs> <laughs> I would love for there to be a, a fantasy RPG where one of the bosses is Bruce Garrick. I think that would that be would... fantastic. <laughs> Either this will Witcher three, it'll be Geralt and Bruce Garrick <laughs> hey, <laughs> taking that, it in the world. That may very well happen because uh, Bruce, you know, Bruce has a po- he's of Polish descent. He's in tight, I think, with those CD Projekt guys. He has read the Witcher stories, I believe. So oh. that, that's what, you like- know what that's what I want. He's like you, but a Polish version of you. And that's what I want in Witcher three is Bruce Garrick as a boss that you fight. So I think that would be awesome. Yeah. All right, my no one would week, stop. Go ahead. No oh, sorry, one would stop. Ahead. No, you go ahead. Yeah, no one, no one would uh, ever stop enjoying beating up Bruce Garrick in The Witcher. I mean, come on, it's just That's, a dream come true. Talk about replay value. Right. I mean, he's a you know, I mean, he's a surgeon. He can fix himself. <laughs> that could be his superpower. <laughs> yeah. All right. So my post of the week uh, is actually a joint post. Uh, so. I never know how to say this guy's name. I, why do people put numerals in their usernames? It just confuses me. Rock Eight Man, which I guess is like Rocket Man, and I've known he's been on the forum forever. I love this guy, but he's I just, been a see. You know, space is no place to raise a kid, though. That's the big thing about it. In fact, it's cold as hell. So he's like an Elton John fan. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, so anyway, Mister Eight Man, as I'm fond of calling this guy, and. Uh, uh, he posted something about the uh, uh, Summer of Arcade schedule, which is what Xbox Live does in the summer. They highlight a successive set of little indie game releases that they feel are very good. Um, right. So Mr. Eight Man posted something about uh, the, the new arcade games that came out just this week, and he referenced the Summer of Arcade. Uh, and then later on, Forge Forsaken, another fellow who's been on the forum forever. I love that yeah. fellow, that guy, too. Yeah, he's a good guy, yeah. And he uh, he posted, well, you didn't mention the Summer of Arcade schedule, so here it is, at which point Mr. Eight Man, uh, I think, pasted it into his uh, post. So what I love about this thread is I could go down this list of Xbox Live, the, the indie game releases, over the next, what is this, one, two, three, four, over the next six weeks, and, oh, wait, what, I can't count, five weeks, and be really excited about something coming out pretty much every week over the summer – even though there aren't a lot oh, yeah. of great high-profile releases. I look at this list, and I'm like, wow, with the exception of one of them I'll mention in a minute. I want to play every single one of those, so here's something I can look forward to every single week for the rest of the summer. So thanks to that post, I just want to mention a few of them. First of all, uh, next week, uh, Bastion comes out. Right. The week after that, From Dust, which you mentioned. I thought that, the, I thought that was earlier. I, I swear to God, I thought that was like... That's July 27th, according to uh, Mr. Eight Man and Mr. Forsaken. Uh, See, I thought it was – yeah, no, you're right. I, I, for some reason, I'd heard that it was the 20th, and then it was going to be on the 
Windows on the 27th, but well, they may have changed that. Well, you know what, McMaster? You're just going to have to take that up with uh, Rocketman and Forge Forsaken, aren't you? Yeah, we're going to go at it. <laughs> <laughs> so, trucking along through the summer, then on the week of August 3rd, and I, I you know, I actually was kind of, I had seen trailers for this game and thought, oh, that's cool. I got to keep my eye on that. And I guess eventually forgot about it because when it, when I saw the name of it, I was like, wait, didn't that already come out? And if it did, then, well, why haven't I played it yet? So, of course, it hasn't come out because I haven't played it because I want to play this. So, I don't really know what it is, but on August 3rd, something called Insanely Twisted Shadow Planet, which just looks like, I think it's like a shoot 'em up kind of thing, and it just has a really funky look to it. Uh, so, I can't wait to play that. Do you know about this? No, but it sounds like those dudes that did the theme song for Kids in the Hall, Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet. <laughs> it sounds cool. That's way too obscure of a reference, but it does sound cool. Uh, <laughs> so uh, now here's a, there's a low point in the summer, I'm assuming. Oh, God, yeah. yes. I'm sorry. Looking at the post, I know what you're yeah. going to say. Yeah, why on <laughs> earth? First of all, the first two terms, I think I've heard of this game maybe on the iPhone or something. So the first, oh, yeah. the first two words of the title, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe. But then we get to the third word, and the, the, the it essentially – Pancakes in the ground. It just nosedives. Yeah, the bad word. So here we go. Fruit. So far, so good. Ninja. Yes. Ooh, intriguing. Connect. Oh. Uh. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so so these little indie developers doing Connect games. That's uh that's great. Yeah. Well, yeah. What I'm curious about is Minecraft Connect because I really like Minecraft, but I just don't see how it's going to work on the Connect. Well, can't you – you can just play that without Connect, right? Like Child of Eden. Like I, you know what? I, actually, that kind of – I kind of want to play on Connect, so I shouldn't mention that one. But I, the Minecraft, you don't need Connect to play it on Xbox, do you? You better not I, is what I'm saying. I, I hope so because that would be absolutely ridiculous because, I mean, you, you're losing a huge opportunity well, <laughs> if you have to have the Connect for it. I will fly out there to Estonia – and give that Notch fellow who made Minecraft a piece of my mind, <laughs> if that's the, the case. Uh, Estonia and Lot. That's his security. I'm pretty sure he's uh he's done okay with Minecraft so far. He's probably got like like Kanye level bodyguards following him around. Oh god, that guy has so much money. Yeah. <laughs> Can't imagine. Uh. So finally, closing out the uh, summer of arcade schedule, uh, Toy Soldiers colon Cold War. Now, I liked Toy Soldiers. Wait, Toy Soldiers was just that World War One tower defense game, right? Was it? Uh, was it? Yeah, actually. I really – that was a pretty cool game where you could take over any of the, the like, towers or planes or whatever. Yeah, you could fly. That's right. It was a, so it was a tower yeah. defense game where you, you were – it was multiplayer. You were building your own defenses and mounting offenses, and including in those, included in those offenses was the ability to drive a tank or fly airplanes around. Uh, it's World War One themed. Uh, it just had a great look to it. It had solid gameplay with the balance of the towers and the vehicles and spending on offense versus defense. And it had split screen multiplayer. Uh, I oh, love yeah. that thing. So I'm assuming this is a Cold War uh, themed update to it or sort of expansion or add on. <laughs> That's pretty cool. It's been long enough. It has. It's been over. Yeah. It's it's not too soon. It's not like Toy Soldiers Fallujah or something. That may not be right. appropriate yet. Uh, but I I also as a child of the 80s. 
Now, McMaster, you're, I think, 22, so you wouldn't remember this. Yeah, but I'm actually 14. <laughs> I didn't want that to get out because I think using prof- <laughs> the profanity that might occur on this podcast could get us booted off of iTunes with your age. So that's I didn't true. want that to get out. Uh, that's true, yeah. Uh, but so as a child of the 80s, if you stick the words Cold War onto something, I am there. Uh, you know, I love those. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> because you read about it in the history books. Yeah, right. I, I heard about <laughs> it secondhand. <laughs> uh, so there's a there's these hardcore strategy games called uh, Supreme Ruler 2020 and uh, Paradox publishes them. Uh, and yeah. I every now and then look at them and look at all the detail and I'm like, I want to I want to play that. That looks exciting. So I'll boot up one of these Supreme Ruler 2020 games and I'll last maybe, you know, 10 minutes <laughs> before yeah. I realize this is way too much even for me, I can't figure out what's going on. The interface is too much. There's way too many units. It's just it's just too too picky and finicky, and I don't care enough to dive into this. We uh, we call those uh, Goodfellow games. Oh, as in Troy? I was thinking the yes. Art Scorsese movie, Goodfellow, not Goodfella. <laughs> no, yeah, not Goodfellas. Right. Yeah, yeah. My joke to you, well, my clown. <laughs> <laughs> well, can can Troy Goodfellow even can even he play a Supreme Commander 2020? Because I think it would tax even his sort of strategy game nerddom. Uh, the, the, I mean, these the battle. The, I love the, the guys that make these are called Battle Goat Studios, I think. And it's such yeah. a, a lighthearted, charming, wacky name that you would think they would make something fun like Insanely Twisted Shadow Planet. But they're making these just really detailed, hardcore strategy games that. Uh, that just defy my comprehension. Uh, total, total chit-based gamer fun. That's <laughs> basically and, what it would be in a board game. <laughs> and they're real time too. Uh, so, oh, so here's the deal. They just released one called Supreme Commander 2020 colon Cold War. Oh. And I'm like, yeah, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm going in. So I downloaded it, and sure enough. Couldn't last more than 20 minutes. I mean, I, I, I'll read the manual and stuff, but it just – you know, oh, actually, McMaster, so I, I – here's what happened. I uh, downloaded it. I set it up. You choose the US or the or, uh, the USSR. Uh, there are buttons right. everywhere. There are units everywhere. I have no idea what's going on. There's a sort of a DEF CON symbol at the top of the screen, and I'm like, oh, cool, <laughs> like nuclear war. War games. Yeah, I'm like, I want to look at that. Matthew Broderick is somewhere. War Games or DEF CON, you know, the intro version game where you're sending nukes around. I'm like, this is cool. I'm going to click on that button and see what happens. So I click on it, and it calls up a list of, like, assets or something, and there's, like, land, air, sea, and it lists units, and you can click on them, and there's all this other information around there. And so I clicked on some of the units, and then there's a big red button, which I guess is, like, exit or whatever. So I'm clicking on some of the different things, and I'm like, okay, I don't know what I'm looking at. So I hit the red button to back out, uh, and I'm just running around messing with things. And then suddenly I get an alert, you know, DEF CON 1. And I think – I didn't stick around long enough to find out, but I think I had accidentally launched nukes at, at the USSR. I think I. That's what I was thinking when you said big red button. That was the first thing that came to mind. Normally on a DEF CON panel, you do not want to press the big red button, but it was so no. inviting. I mean, it's there. It's inviting. <laughs> the I, shiny candy-like button. It is. It was like candy. It was like a big old lollipop, and you're like, yeah, I want that. It looks sweet and tasty. It's like cherry-flavored. I'm going to click it. <laughs> yes. 
you, you think that the game like that would come with like two keys that you and maybe your cat would have to turn at the same time. Turn your key, Shadow Cat. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, so that's uh, – I don't know. I, I hope in Toy Soldiers Cold War – and if you're making a game called Toy Soldiers Cold War, I mean surely there's going to be some way to nuke the other guy. So I'm hoping that hope. that it will be in there, and I'm, I'm further hoping that there is some kind of safeguard like you mentioned, McMaster, so that a guy like me who's confronted with a big pretty red button doesn't just press it and screw everything up. So. Oh, yeah. At least like yeah. one of those little like plastic covers over the button, you know, where you have to like just like steel battalions. Exactly, McMaster. That's exactly what I was thinking. Whatever you put under there, you have to think twice about pressing it. I mean, you can see it under that clear plastic, but your finger can't reach it until you flip up the cover. So you've got to give that some thought. That's that's I a think, very meticulous process. I think my favorite my favorite story about uh, steel battalions ever was uh, the first few time or the first time I played the game. I, I turn it on, I get all my, my keyboard or my giant joystick set up and everything, and I'm messing around with the buttons, and then all of a sudden my guy dies. And I was like, <laughs> what the hell just happened? I had turned off the air in my cabin <laughs> with a toggle switch. What the hell game puts that option in? Hey, if you don't want to breathe while you're playing the game, that's your option. That's your prerogative. And it was like, you know, it was permanent death. So, I mean, luckily, this wasn't like a guy I'd had a while. <laughs> you know, I think, never... I think more games need that. They need to oh, yeah. in- incentivize learning the game. I mean, you know what? A tutorial is one thing, but permadeath killing your character, if you're just going to randomly press buttons without knowing what you're doing, I'm fine with that. You know what? Do oh, that. Yeah. Yeah, That'll I, force uh... you to learn the game. Oh, yeah. No, I learned what that uh, one toggle switch did directly <laughs> after that. <laughs> At, at least in your case, though, McMaster, you didn't start World War III, so there's that. No, no, I just suffocated in my giant mech. <laughs> and then the game went black. <laughs> <laughs> All right, McMaster, are you ready for me to roll the D8 again? The D8 of power, yes. Here we go. What else would a D8? What, do you ever use D8 for hit dice? No, actually, no, that's silly. Hit dice are always D10s, is that right? Or did I no. make that up? They they change. Uh, wizards like D four, clerics. Oh D6, no no no! Right, no, I, meant, I I meant for the monsters. When you talk about like an orc oh, having two hit. Oh hit die! Yeah, it can. It's either D tens or D twelves depending on the size of the monster. Oh, like large set. Wow, you know what? I, that sounds vaguely familiar. Um, oh yeah, that's right. I'm really cool. So yes, I know these things. All right, well done, McMaster. All right, here we go. Ready? Yes. A six. Ha-ha. That means you go first. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, no, I'll go first. I, I don't, You won this one fair and square. All right, my game of the week, actually speaking of uh, Summer of Arcade, uh, my game of the week is easily Bastion. Uh, do you know what Bastion is, by the way? I do not. I have been away from my arcade. It's a terrible name. What would you think if someone says to you, hey, McMaster, there's a game out called Bastion. And actually, this was said to me. One of the developers uh, emailed me shortly before uh, E3. It was like, hey, come on out and see our game. It's being published by Warner Brothers Interactive. It's called Bastion, uh, and we'll be at E3. So if someone were to say that to you, McMaster, what kind of game would you think you're in for? Well, I'd probably kick their ass for even just saying <laughs> Bastion. <laughs> so once, I, and once the smoke cleared, what would you think you were in for after all that violence? Honestly, I probably uh, – I wouldn't even 
I wouldn't even give it a second thought. Uh, na- names oh, are pretty. Uh, you would totally. Important. You would ditch them, or you just wouldn't care about the name of the game. I I probably wouldn't care that much, and it, it's it's kind of forgettable. So uh, it yeah. just yeah. It is a bad name, unfortunately. Although when you play, it does make sense. I mean, they explain they use the name in the game, which is more than you can say for for some awful name. Oh, it's about the talking crab from Little Mermaid, Sebastian. Oh, good one! Wow, that was good, McMaster. Well played. Under the sea. <laughs> no, so this Bastion, which I I would have thought was going to be like a hardcore shooter, you know, like you're defending your Bastion. There's a bunch of tough Marines defending the Bastion, uh, like. Oh, so- yeah. I just like a Halo-y kind of thing or something. Um, but no, no such, no such uh, situation. So Bastion is a uh, platformer or action RPG, depending on who you talk to. Sure. Uh, and it's uh, – looking at it, you just think, oh, it's kind of cute. It's got cute kind of graphics. There's a little – the main character has this sort of braid look about him, a little stunted dude. running. Yeah, around. yeah. He does look it, it, very braid look. The, the animation and the yep. different art style. Uh, however, once you play Bastion uh, and get a sense for the, its its tone and its approach to how it folds in the gameplay, uh, this thing just early on grabbed me. Uh, and I love I love how um, it takes what what really looks familiar, which is mainly that cute little dude running around killing stuff. Uh, you know, you, like it could yeah. be just like any sort of Japanese game or something. Um, but it it really makes it feel new and fresh. And as you layer in new weapons, like each weapon, there's no like, okay, this sword does this much damage and this one does twice as much damage. And then later we're going to give you one that does three times as much damage. Every time you find a new weapon in Bastion, it really does shift the gameplay mechanics neatly. Like, <laughs> like once you find, for instance uh, – you start off with a kind of a, a – it's called a fang launcher, and it's like a mini gun maybe. It shoots rapid little bullets, uh, and it's pretty straightforward. But then you find these dueling pistols, and they fire fewer bullets, but they fire as quickly as you can press the button. Uh, and then, then you find a, a scrap musket, which is a great name for a shotgun. Very straightforward. Yes. You know, It's sort of got the wide damage. And then you find – uh, I think it's called a uh, an infantry carbine, or it's got some cool name. They 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 they're they're great with thinking up names in Bastion. Right now, I'm at a point where you're fighting something called an ankle gator, and I love the name <laughs> ankle gator because it just sounds like something's gonna bite your feet, which is which is exactly what it is when you finally meet it. Uh, awesome. So so this this rifle is called uh, maybe cavalry carbine. Anyway, it's got a cool name that I'm not remembering, but uh, it's like a long range rifle, and the way it works is when you fire it it starts off with a really wide range of attack but the longer you hold down the button this cone in front of you and it's clearly indicated on screen narrows down to a single line so if you hold it down long enough and aim the line it's going to do a lot of damage like with an aimed shot as opposed to just tapping the button in which case the shot might fly wild and you're not going to do much if, if any damage so Early, like within a few hours, you've got four different guns in this game, each of which is distinct from one another, just in terms of how you shoot it. But furthermore, each weapon has different collectibles around the world, and each time you find a collectible, you can spend some money to upgrade the weapon and give it new capabilities. 
So you start the game with these four weapons, each of which has three upgrade levels. Now, when you pay to upgrade something, it'll say, you know, normally like, oh, it holds plus eight bullets. You know, it'll have some cool little tweak like that. But the thing is, once you've upgraded it, you don't just give it one upgrade. You give it your choice of two upgrades. So, for instance, with those first pistols, you can either give it an additional eight rounds that it holds or a faster loading speed. And the thing is, I was sitting there staring at the screen thinking, you know, when I was going to upgrade, I was thinking, ah, which one of those do I want? Do I want the additional ammo? Do I want the faster loading speed? Because you have infinite ammo, but there's downtime while you reload. I don't know which one to get. And I finally opted for one of them. And then later in the game, when I came back and was upgrading again, I realized you can at will, when you go back to your base, toggle between those two. You pick, once you upgrade that level, you pick whenever you go out to adventure into the world, which one of those upgrades you want. And for each level of upgrade where you've got those two choices, you unlock both of them. But anytime you go out into the world, you have to pick which one you want to basically equip. So Right. right, right away, I've got four cool guns. I've got for each gun three cool upgrades. And in fact, for each upgrade, I've got two cool choices. And then what happened to me last night is as I got further into the game, I unlocked something that gave me two additional upgrades for every single weapon in the game. So just with an example of how you're using these cool little ranged weapons, they have so much content there, and they play it really close to the vest for a while, and they slowly fold it out as you're playing and as you're discovering the game. And what makes it partly cool is for each weapon, and even above and beyond the weapons, there are all these different challenges you can do in addition to the story missions. Uh, You can do this sort of like survival challenge. You can do weapon-specific challenges. Uh, It reminds me a bit of what I think Brink attempted, where when you played Brink, they had these little training challenges that would unlock uh, some of the weapons. And in Brink, when I first saw that, I was like, yeah, this looks cool. I can't wait to do this. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, I had exhausted all of that content and gotten out of it all I was going to. But in fact, they they draw that out so well in Bastion. So what happens is I'll do a challenge like with the dueling pistols in, in Bastion, and I'll suck at it, and I'll only get the third place reward. But then I'll think, you know what, if I go back and instead of getting the plus eight bullets, increase my reload speed, and instead of increasing the range, increase the damage it does. So you go back to your base, you rejigger your gun, uh, and then you go back and you do the challenge and you can ace it. It's sort of like they're just as cerebral as they are uh, based on reflexes. Um, so I, I just love the way that they folded gameplay into this. And I'm not even going to go into the, the story and the artwork and the narration and, and Greg Cassavan's fantastic writing. You know, the former editor-in-chief of GameSpot who – Oh, I, it's Cassavan, really. It's Cassavan, yeah. And as a disclaimer, oh. I used to work wow. for this guy. Uh, you know, I, I I never would have guessed – and I don't mean this as a slam to Greg. Uh, but I never would have guessed he had it in him to write these really – cool poetic it, the way it tells a story is that it's so economic with how it doles out little bits and pieces of information you're never sitting there listening to exposition uh and and i just think greg has just done a great job basically writing poetry and then putting it into a game um and i never you know like i said i don't mean that as a slam against greg i've met him he just didn't strike me actually no one i know really strikes me as a poetic type you know i <laughs> I, don't I know, have a poet soul. You know, like you're, you're, let's say you're no Pablo Neruda, for instance. Nobody I, I really know is. I have never written the captain's verses or anything near it. So. 
So anyway, that's my game of the week, and I don't want to say too much about the tome because I would just invite anyone to discover it because that's truly what's special about it. The fact that they get the gameplay so well, that's all good and well, that's fine, but that they put it into such a mesmerizing game uh, is just really remarkable. So, man, I got to say, the rest of the guys coming out for this Summer of Arcade thing, they have got a tough act to follow. I would not want to go right after Bastion. So and From Dust looks awesome, though. Oh, you know what? You're right. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's a good point. If, if you're going to follow up Bastion, I think From Dust might have a pretty good chance of being a similarly haunting experience. Uh, so, you know what? I'm going to put you on the spot for once. I've got a question for you. Bring it. What is the strangest way you've ever seen uh, a game upgrade something? Oh, that's good. That's and I bet good. I can top it. <laughs> The strangest way to upgrade. It's very good, McMaster, and I know that whatever I come up with an hour later, I'm going to be like, oh, I should have said X, <laughs> Y, or Z. The strangest way to upgrade something. That's very good. Well, so here's the thing. In Bastion, the items that you find to upgrade something are called yeah. something blank, and they put in an adjective. So, for instance, to upgrade uh, your little sword that you get, you find something sharp. You know, you're walking around in the world and you literally come across an item that you pick up and it says something sharp. And you know that goes for your sword. So if you want to upgrade your bow, it's something stringy uh, for one of the pistols. <laughs> I think the idea is it's like a, a finely oiled dueling pistol or something. You find something greasy. Uh, so so you have to find <laughs> these little items and then you also have to pay some of the in-game currency. So, I, you know, just because I played Bastion most recently, that's what comes to mind is finding, you know, something – Insert adjective. Um, but what, do you, what are you thinking of? What made you ask that? You've got a cool one, I can tell. All right. Uh, well, cool is relative. Uh, no, actually, I really like this series. But have you ever heard of the Shadow Heart series? Shadow Heart? Yeah. That sounds Our like Shadow some, Hearts. Shadow Heart sounds weird. That sounds like some Lady Hawk follow-up or something. Shadow Hearts? It's, you know what it sounds like? Here's what that is, McMaster. That's some screwy JRPG, isn't it? With little anime oh, yeah. running around. Oh, it is. I got it right. It's – I wouldn't say screwy. It, it is, it's really bizarre. But uh, um, it was developed by uh, a company that was started by one of the guys that, that composed the music for Secret of Mana. But uh, the – it's the, the series started with a, a game called Codelco, and it's these these weird like alternate history kind of games that start. You know, there's one in World War around one World War One and stuff like that. But anyway, you get to Shadow Hearts Covenant, and one of the characters you have is a puppet master named Geppetto. Yes, imagine that, and <laughs> and he fights with his puppet, and to get upgrades for your puppet, you have to change the puppet's uh, clothes. Well, the only way you can get clothes for the puppet is if you find gay porn and trade it to these two gay dudes that make puppet clothes. Oh, my God. I totally remember this. I think I've played it. Is this, the, <laughs> this is the game that has – it's like FDR in this game or something? Or, it's uh, – oh like they're, his, they're historical figures, aren't there? Uh, if, yeah, if I remember correctly. It's been a while. I think the gay porn just kind of like totally pushed that out of my head. But it uh, – <laughs> Yeah, it's based uh, partially in Russia, um, and uh, it's it's yeah these like early you know two thousand or early nineteen hundreds like now, it's World not, War. It's not literally gay porn. You're just making a joke. No, no, I, I believe it actually is, is gay porn. I believe it's it's supposed to be gay pornography. 
And are they magazines, I guess? Like, well, that's, yes. that's yeah, it's, yes. it's, it's not like CD-ROMs with a bunch of gay porn burned onto them. No, no. I mean, yeah, no, it's yeah, it's because this is set in like 1917 or something like right. that. So it's like a gay porn flyer. You have to trade these two guys. I mean, that's it's not, you know, you don't find, oh, I found gay porn time to upgrade. But I mean, it's, it's heavily implied that that's what's happening. Well, I definitely remember that just real effeminate character. And uh, yeah, yeah. All right. So in oh, what man. in what other game did did porn have gameplay implications? This is probably uh, let's, one. let's see. There was uh, uh, you mean other than soft porn adventure with Roberta Williams on the cover, uh, <laughs> and, and no. other and other than uh, The Witcher, where you could collect those those little uh, naked lady cards. I didn't play oh, that. Oh, the sex cards. Yeah. Now, now those didn't have any gameplay implications, did they? No, all they were was uh, it was like it was pretty cheesy and yet strangely uh, hilarious uh, that, yeah, every time you like banged one of these chicks because the witcher is like he's totally like a, a, a sexy devil. And, uh, you know, whenever you would like save some milkmaid or something from a monster, you know, you would, you know, you'd bet her and then get the, like this card, you know, card of her like topless or something. So and uh, they. They edited that out in the states for the longest time. Uh, you had to, uh, if you wanted like that, fi- like functionality or like the the actual original cards, you had to like play like the British version. But the one on Good Old Games uh, has everything in it. So that reminds me a little bit of one of my guilty pleasures from, I guess it was last year, uh, a not very good game that I still liked called Splatterhouse. Uh, based on the old oh, yeah. Sega graphics, Turbo Graphics game or whatever it was, uh, and in Splatterhouse, oh, yeah, it's Turbo. Yeah, in Splatterhouse, you're a, a nerdy dude who finds a magical mask that makes him a really tough murderer guy, and and you're rescuing your girlfriend. So in Splatterhouse, uh, on the different on the levels, this is to encourage exploration. Not that there was much of that, but uh, by exploration, <laughs> no. this meant smashing every barrel and looking to every cranny. So you would find scraps of photographs of your kidnapped girlfriend and as you as you pick them up you would sort of assemble a puzzle it wasn't a puzzle because there's only like a few pieces but you would start to put together these little cheesecake photographs of your girlfriend who there was eventually there was bona fide toplessness there so i guess it would qualify as in-game porno uh and i'm and she was kind of cute i mean you know well she's your video game girlfriend they're all cute uh, so there, there was there was porno there, but it had no gameplay implication. Uh, I guess you could get an achievement, so there's that. But I'm thinking specifically, McMaster, of a game where pornography has a gameplay function. Oh man, I'm surprised. I know. I'm very surprised you're not getting this, McMaster. I would have guessed. I know I'll know it once you. <laughs> oh, you will. You will. I'll be I'll be very ashamed of myself, I'm sure. All right, are you ready? Do you? I want you to now concede, McMaster, that you give up and that I have bested you. Say hey, you have bested me. You have bested me. <laughs> All right, that wasn't nearly Uncle. as satisfying as I thought it would be. But uh, so no, you know, in uh, in the Metal Gear series, you could lay down a porno magazine, That's a early magazine, right. and the guards would stop and read it, and then you could gank them or hit them on the head or whatever you were going to do. Uh, yeah, actually, always the Metal Gear series was a little weird. I was always impressed that Nintendo had the first couple because it had smoking in it. Ah, that's Solid right. Snake smokes like crazy. Does it heal him? Is there? Uh, is there? No, it hurts him like a little bit. It took a little bit of his life away, if I remember correctly, in the first one. That's realistic. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 
All right. So uh, I'm not sure. Wow. That, that was a fun rabbit hole. I'm not sure how we got down there, but I, I enjoyed that tangent. Uh, where were we? So we were on Bastion. That's my game of the week. So McMaster, I guess all we have left now is what is your choice for game of the week? Yeah, I feel kind of bad because I tipped my hand a touch too early, but I can lead into it with uh, discussions of video game nudity. And it's Witcher 2, which has a whole lot of video <laughs> game nudity. There is. I uh, Yeah, there there is. There there are naked chicks there. I, I You know what? So here's I, – I like the love scene between – the Witcher yeah. dude, and what's his redheaded girlfriend's name? I should... Tris Marigold. That, that's right. How could I forget that? That's a cool name. I loved that the little love scene they had in that like uh, that Ooh, elf the the ruins that's one of the, the things I th- ads. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things I think that that game did really well. And I mean, the, you know, the cheesiness of the first one with the sex cards aside is like they kind of presented that whole thing as almost uh, mature. You know, it wasn't like some big ha-ha, you know, booby fest or whatever. It was it was an honest-to-God, relatively mature love scene. And and here's what I think m- makes it work, because actually the game opens with Triss, like, naked, naked and displayed yeah. out next to him. And then later you get that love scene. Uh, I, I want to applaud them, and I'm no prude. I don't think this is a prerequisite. Like, I, I think the R-rated nudity in the God of War games was kind of appropriate that's the approach it was going sure. for uh you know kratos was like toting around and sometimes rescuing sometimes sacrificing naked chicks you know there's a tradition yeah. that's r-rated fantasy but I, I i think the guys at cd project deserve credit for presenting nudity in the context of uh and god i'm going to so sound like a dan quayle here but in the context <sighs> of of a, of a meaningful relationship that's ongoing uh, and not to say he's right. monogamous or they're married or you should only have sex if you're married, but just the fact that what we're seeing is, is a man and a woman who really love each other and not just a dude right. bonking some chick with fantasy fake breasts. Uh, you know, right. Tris, Tris certainly is hot and she's got that, you know, she's got that quality to her, but she's a meaningful character in the game. She she has a, a huge impact on the plot and she obviously means a lot to Geralt. So. For us to kind of see how much they love each other in various ways, including physically and erotically, uh, I, I think it had context, and therefore that gets at that maturity you're talking about. You know what's so great about the Witcher backstory, too? She, she's an attractive girl. In the books, uh, she's uh, super attractive as well, but there's a reason for it. The sorceresses are usually not wanted children. They're shipped off because there's something wrong with them. But when they become sorceresses, they can polymorph themselves and change their physical appearance. But it never looks quite right. So it's like Geralt, the first time he meets one of the women he ends up falling in love with, Yennefer, she's mentioned in Witcher 2 quite a bit. Um, he, uh, he looks at her and she, he says, I think she was a hunter. He thinks, I think she was a hunchback because he can kind of tell there's a little bit of something wrong with her, but she's altered herself to be super beautiful. That is awesome, McMaster. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah, they're fascinating books. <laughs> okay, you know what that reminds me of? Again, a, a brief tangent. Uh, did you see Inception? Yes. So uh, credit to my friend Christian Morosky for, for mentioning this, bringing this up to me. But in Inception, uh, one of the characters played by Tom Hardy. Uh, you know, it's it's about these these people that come together and they create a dream world to try to trick someone else. And 
the dream world they create uh, is a product of – it's like they're, they're the architects for this and the artists, and they make this dream world. Leonardo DiCaprio, Ellen Page, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Tom Hardy, uh, and I – am I skipping someone? At any rate, so the cast of characters is basically these dream architects, and Tom Hardy's character, the implication is that he's gay. Uh, and yeah. they don't make a big deal out of it, but you know I love Tom Hardy as an actor, uh, and I love the fact that that's their their sort of little character detail there. So at one point he's got to create a beautiful woman to tempt someone, and the woman he creates, I mean she's not ugly by any means of the imagination, uh, and they get a, a fairly attractive actress to play the character, but there's something a little weird and manly looking about her. <laughs> And you can sort of trace that to the fact that this is this gay man's concept of what would be attractive to another man. You know, he doesn't understand that at a gut level, but here's his intellectual representation of what would be attractive, and she's kind of a little off. Uh, so you just made me think of that with this idea. I love the idea that uh, that these sorceresses are, are, are flawed, and they have the power of imagination to sort of – where they're polymorphing to cover that up and create something different. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, no, the, that's one thing about The Witcher is before I started reading the books, I, I used to, I, you know, I had played a little bit of the first game and I was, I, I thought it was cool and everything. I, I just had no idea that the actual backstory to it was as rich as it is. It's, it's, it's quite interesting. I actually, so The Witcher has killed for me. Uh, Game of Thrones. I a friend of mine was like this Game of Thrones TV show was starting. And a friend of mine was like, you know, read the books before you see the TV show. The books are really good. So I started reading one of the books, and then I got the assignment to play The Witcher too. And if you know Game of Thrones, it's just dumping name after name after name after freaking oh, yeah. name into your lap for the first I, – I don't even know if it ever lets up. I only got like 60 pages into it. So then I'm playing The Witcher, which also – It doesn't. But it, you say it doesn't drop names in your lap? Uh, no, it dude. Oh my god. I like, mean, that's the, the thing. Book, the, the, I like the books. Don't get me wrong, but it is just, you know, it's just a constant parade of characters. <laughs> well, well, in the game as well. And what happens in the game though, with The Witcher Two specifically, is you get started. You you get into the game with so much stuff already going on, and there's all these like names. And oh, The Witcher The Witcher Two. One of the things I love about it is their encyclopedia and how it's written and organized and how it unfolds with the plot. Um, oh yeah. But I, I just felt like, you know what? I can only learn one, just one crowded fantasy universe at a time. So, you know, no Game of Thrones. So I put that aside and have never gotten back to it. But, uh, you know, for because of the richness of its backstory, uh, it sort of felt like my brain only has room for one of these at a time. Uh, no, I hear you. Uh, the George R. R. Martin books, I really enjoy them. But uh, yeah, they're they're hard to they're hard to get through sometimes. So you you mentioned uh, Witcher Two as your game of the week. You've you've been playing it. Are you replaying it? Uh, what do you I've doing with it? I've been playing it. I I've been. Oh God, you, you know how it goes. You, you get a uh, Witcher Two is a not a review game for me. So ah. so I have to kind of play those when I can. That's why I was oh I was playing Duke Nukem. You know, uh, <laughs> I'd much rather be playing Witcher Two. So. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm getting through it, and uh, I just I constantly impressed. I mean, the graphically beautiful game, even on low settings, it's a very attractive game. And uh, which I say low settings because I've been playing on my laptop, and, and uh, I did bring a 360 controller with me to Germany <laughs> so that I could, uh, you know. You know what? I never, I never got to that comfortable with the 360 controller. I ended up playing through the whole thing with a keyboard and mouse, and I'm, I'm one of the first guys to, you know. 
I have no qualms about using a 360 controller on a PC, but I never reach that point with, with Witcher 2. But you're more comfortable that way? Yeah, and I I don't know what it was. I think it was – well, you probably – did you play it before the first couple of patches? Did you get through it? Uh, they were releasing patches as I was playing it since I did a review. So okay. I, I played it for a while without a patch, and then I recall a big one came out that addressed some control issues. So I only saw yeah. maybe the first one or two patches. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I, I couldn't for some reason. I just couldn't get used to it. And so uh, the the combat. I mean, I could do anything but the combat. The combat just was well. It didn't feel right. To be fair, McMaster, you obviously are one of the these console kitties, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm on fourteen. Yeah, what are you gonna do? <laughs> so you you uh, can I ask then what uh, it, when you when you develop Geralt, you know you have the basically the magic tree, you have the swordsmanship tree, whatever you want to call that, and you have the potion tree, and I think each one of them is also kind of a difficulty level. Like if you just want to spam the the sword attacks, you do the sword tree. If you want to sort of plan things out in advance, you do the potion tree. If you like to think on your feet and use the spells, you do the magic tree. Are you leaning one way or the other yet? Are you doing a combination of the three? How are you developing your I'm doing kind of a combination, but I'm leaning leaning towards sword play more. You know, I guess because to me, the Witcher is mostly... He's a badass swordsman. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. He's uh, he's good at a lot of different things, and he's very knowledgeable. But you know, you, in the books, you you don't read a lot about how he was brewing potions all the time. He's usually kicking somebody's ass. So, you know. So that's your choice, not because you're not smart enough to do potions, but strictly oh, from no. a, from a lore perspective. All right, you know, and if I do replay the game, I will probably go potions, not magic, because uh, as much as I like the magic, it, it's kind of a secondary thing to The Witcher. Really, I mean, the most useful parts of the magic is just convincing people not to murder your ass or somebody else, you know, using your different axes on them. You know, I do love, so there's one, like, like most of those skills in The Witcher skill tree are uh, are combat-oriented, but there is the one... I can't think they're called runes. Aren't those spells runes? There's one rune that yeah, is conversation-oriented, and I think that one actually might improve oh. with use. I don't know that you actually manually – I don't think you spend points on that. But anyway, you, it'll unlock options in the conversation tree, and whenever you do one of those options, Geralt does this kind of like one, two, three. Like he does these weird three-finger gestures. Yeah, he makes like uh, – yeah, he makes hand symbols that you have to make to, to cast them. And it, Yeah, and, it, and it, it's sort of like a Jedi mind trick thing, and I do not yep. deny if, – if someone were to ask me, Tom Chick, have you ever, while playing The Witcher 3, tried to learn those three hand symbols – and I I cannot deny that if if I were to yeah. that well you gotta I mean Geralt's a badass I know you want to be like him I want to I want to be having a conversation with someone where they say no I'm not going to do that and I say you're going to do that and then I throw those three finger things and they say I'm going to do that <laughs> that's how I want to be uh, so it's funny because like the magic in that game is used more than you by him than you really see it in the books because he. He uses it, but it's always kind of a, a last resort uh, a lot of times because his biggest use that you see it is just blocking spells um, because he doesn't want to get killed. Right. But, you know, and I, neither do I, so I understand. Um. <laughs> well, it's a huge it's, – it's one of the things I love about the, the combat in that game is how 
you, you know, they fold in these different powers. I mean, it's not, you know, four flavors of fireball. Like each of them is very distinct and how it folds oh, into yeah. the combat and like what some of them are better against different kinds of creatures than others. And uh, are there any of the spells that you haven't figured out yet? Because I might be able to help you. I think I think I got them all down. Okay. Um, Just keep me posted if you need like a, a mage <laughs> advisor or something and I can, I can do that. My uh, yes, I need my. That would be great. I'll just call you up. <laughs> Listen, so, I'm trying to cast this spell. <laughs> and then I'll. And then the first thing I'll say, Jason Moonmaster, is it's not a spell; it's a rune. Oh, that's my bad. Yes. <laughs> and then you would say do or do not. There is no try. I'll be your Yoda. <laughs> uh, so uh, this is a game you will finish, right? Because I heartily encourage seeing the oh, storyline yeah. through. Okay, they do some really cool stuff, and I really liked. It, I, I, and you know what's also awesome about this game? This this will move you forward, Jason Jimenez McMaster. What's One that? of the things awesome about this game, the credit sequence. Really? There is some amazing 2D art in the credits. So you've got that to look forward to. I, uh, you know, and one thing, the one big thing that I really like about all the Witcher stuff is how, how raw and crass everything is too. Yeah. Like you the know, dwarves it, talking about like those little, those little vulgar dwarves. I love how yeah. dwarves are. Yeah. <laughs> and the, and the whole thing is like, you know, I'm so tired of these medieval worlds where it's a bunch of, Hey there and ho now and my Lord, and my liege. And there's like, you know, farting and burping and bar fights and all sorts of crazy shit going on in the Witcher. You know what that is, McMaster? What's that? That's that sort of East European slash German humor. Yeah. I go. can see that. It's a, that's what comes from having a lot of beer and sausage, I think. Oh, yeah. You get all yeah drunk on beer and sausage. <laughs> that's right. And you're just making, like, fart jokes, and it's a great time, and it works its way into your literature. So there you go. See, <laughs> <laughs> so America, you know, we were founded on Puritans. We don't cotton to that kind of thing. We just make nice, no. safe humor about, you know, you know how you know you're a redneck wind, blah, blah, blah. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> all right. So Witcher 2, good choice. Uh, can now, do you know offhand, like how far, without too many spoilery things, what part are you enjoying right now? Um, I'm I'm a little bit past that boss fight that you had problems with. Okay, because I just want to say, I don't know if you know this, and I don't think this is a spoiler. When you finish The Witcher Two, no matter what you do, mm-hmm. there will be, and I'm not just talking like a side quest or something. There will be huge chunks of the game that you did not experience and may not even realize existed. Uh, it's a great game to sit down and talk to people because you'll be like, wait, that could have happened. Uh, so that, that's, oh, that's uh, you know, that, that like harks back to the first Witcher. That was like one of their big design ideas was they wanted you to make choices that did not affect something within a few minutes. They wanted you to make choices that affected things hours down the road. So you couldn't just reload the game ah, and right. pull and just, you know, see everything. They wanted you to actually take part in the story, which I always thought was cool. And that's what attracted me to the series in the first place. Well, a lot of times something like that can seem contrived. Like, OK, I know that I that this is happening here, but that over there could have been happening. One of the great things about The Witcher 2 is I never got to sit like I felt like I was experiencing the story as it was supposed to be and not right. like not branch you know i never got this sense that it just forked off into some area i got the sense that well yeah of course this is going to happen and 
you know, maybe there was some little choice I made along the way that determined whether or not an NPC liked me or gave me a discount at his store or something. But yeah, this is the story. Right. This How could it be any different? Uh, and I, I love how they have just made it feel appropriate. You know, they make it feel like a unified storyline, which is something that a lot of times, and I don't want to single out Bioware, but by God, I'm going to anyway, that a lot of times developers can't do. You know, that, that whole forking stuff feels so contrived. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's the one thing that I really... I don't know what it is about me in Eastern Europe or whatever, you know, in role-playing games, but I loved, uh, I mean, just Gothic 2 just felt really... Ah, yes, yes. You know, and it wasn't like it had some great forking path through it, but there's just something about the games that these guys make that are just so much more personal feeling, and that's what really attracts me to Gothic 2 and the Witcher series. It's like you... You get invested in them instead of just kind of like, oh, I'm going to get the next big gun and shoot somebody or I'm going to upgrade my sword, you know. And I and I enjoy Bioware games, but it's just a different thing, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, there's a thread of folks who are playing uh, Risen, which I think is the latest yeah. game from Piranha Bytes. Those are the guys that did the first two Gothics, I believe. And Yeah, they lost uh, the rights to Gothic, I think. So and, uh, it sounds like Risen is basically the next gothic in everything but name. Uh, right. But reading that thread, I'm vicariously enjoying uh, – I, I don't know that I'll ever play Risen, but I, I love just sort of scanning that thread and seeing the different things that can happen and hearing people talk about, oh, I didn't know you could do this or you could do that, and here's the choice that I made. And uh, yeah. So yeah, what know, is it? It's, I, I guess, already know that in Witcher 2, two of the choices I've made are probably going to bite me in the ass. I know it already. I just know it. You know, you say you say bite me in the ass, but one of the I think part of the beauty of the way that The Witcher Two is built is I, I don't think there's a, a wrong choice per se, and I'm doing like air quotes around wrong so much as a you know how do you feel Geralt should fit into these events? Uh, you know, you're not going to break the world, or you're not going to have a dead end, or something, or you're not going to lose all your crew members. It's not that kind of thing. Instead, it's you're you're finding Geralt's place in this cool chain of political events that's going to unfold. Where will you be when it all goes down? That's kind of the way that the, the choice works in, in The Witcher too. So so don't feel like it's going to bite you in the ass. Feel instead, Jason Jimenez, Master, like you are carving out your own destiny. You know, and if you or anyone listening is interested in the Witcher books, they're not. Oh, they're well, they're they're bizarre because they're book names and then they're starring the Witcher. Which I, <laughs> I didn't. But uh, wow. The first and these are the only two I think that are in English at current. I could be wrong. There are more being translated because it's becoming a popular series. Uh, but the Last Wish is uh, the first one I read, and uh, the second one is Blood of Elves. And uh, Blood of Elves actually deals with the Scoia'tael and stuff like that from Witcher Two. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, you should check those out. They're not they're they're really they're relatively short books because they're really all collections of short stories, or a lot of them are. Right. Uh, that that was that were written for a uh, fantasy sci-fi magazine, and uh, so it, it reads really fast and uh, and, now, and surprisingly for, interesting. For people who want to look these up, uh, McMaster, how do you spell the author's name again? You spell it, <laughs> and this is uh, the good the good part. That would be. Hey, a- you're cheating! In- you're looking it up. You're looking it up. You're ch- go ahead, spell it. Go ahead, spell it. First. I'm hol- I'm holding my nook. That doesn't count as looking it up. A n d r z e j. That's his first name. Right. Uh, 
Sapkowski, which is S-A-P-K-O-W-S-K-I. Oh, that's not that's, that hard. That's a pretty Polish name. Yeah, that's not that hard to pronounce either. I thought it was way more difficult than that. That's pretty No, this first name's a little bit trickier than the, uh, yeah, the like last. A, anybody with like a J in his first name. And a C. Yeah, and especially if it's not the first letter in the name, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what to make of it. It's quite a bit into it, so yeah. Um, but yeah, they're they're good, and you know you can find them on if you have a Nook. They're certainly uh, downloadable. Great. So. All right, Jason Jimenez McMaster, what are we going to do for the listeners next week? What's our format going to be? Um, first, we're going to play grab ass. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! No, I'm talking about the podcast. Oh, 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 oh I'm, I'm not. I'm not talking about the meetup. I mean the podcast. Oh. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, we're going to discuss a forum post, a news story, and a game of the week. Awesome. And now, uh, Jason Jimenez, Master, before we go, uh, let's each weigh in on if there was to be a movie of The Witcher, who would play Geralt? So I want you oh. to go first. I want you right now to cast for us. Oh, okay. And, I got it. All right. The guy that played Shigur from No Country from Old Man. Very good. Javier Bardem. That's a fantastic yeah, yeah, choice. Yeah. However, I got you beat. If I was to oh. make a Witcher movie, playing the Witcher, Chris O'Donnell. Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs>